This is the Gospel for Life, where we have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. Around the table today is Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Jonathan Van Hoogen from Dayspring United Reformed Church, Vinnie Hanke from Valley Life Community Church, and Ryan Hemphill from Treasure Valley Reformed Presbyterian Church. To catch earlier broadcasts, just search The Gospel for Life wherever you subscribe. To find out more about this ministry and about our annual conference, go to ReformationBoise.com. Welcome back to The Gospel for Life. It is once again great to be with you, and hopefully as we begin our days together that um, we begin them hopefully focused on who God is and who we ought to be in, in response to that. We have been looking at big texts of God's Word. We find ourselves, in, in my humble opinion, one of the most glorious chapters in, in the Scriptures. I jokingly said off air that Lloyd-Jones said this is the greatest chapter in the Bible, but if you spend any time reading Lloyd-Jones, he says that about a hundred times. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's like when I preach, every book of the Bible is my favorite book yeah, 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 when we yeah, start. Right. And so um, I did preach through the the book of Romans several years ago, and when you get to Romans 8, I have to admit there's just, just a little bit of fear and intimidation as you approach it because it is such a glorious text that you you kind of go into it going, I'm going to mess this up. There's no way I can preach this to the extent that it deserves because of the glorious truths that it contains, but thankfully God always accompanies his word with his spirit. And so where I fell short, I'm pretty confident the spirit did not. And so hopefully that's also the case as we are working through Romans 8, that where we're falling short, the spirit is not, and then he's taking these truths and and implanting them deep in your own hearts. So we are ready to look at the next section, which is Romans 8, starting in verse 18, and I think Vinny's going to be doing some reading for us. Yep, so this is Romans eight eighteen through 30 from the ESV. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience." Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. 
So the framework we've been looking and using for as we've approached these texts is first, what do these texts tell us about God? Second, what do they tell us about ourselves? And then third, the so what? What's the application? So once again, fellas, what are we learning about God in these verses? Well, when we learn that God as creator has a destiny plan for all of creation, which mm-hmm. would include us. In that, too, we also see his care of us. The fact that you know, there's, uh, he hasn't left us alone. You know, he's given us his, his spirit. Again, this, this fact is brought out in this chapter of the spirit that's been given to us. Uh, the spirit intercedes for us. Um, but he helps us in our weakness. And there seems to be this idea among some circles that almost, you know, God justifies you, but then, you know, you need to put your bootstraps on and get to work and maintain your faithfulness and, you know, persevere to the end. But that's not how God teaches. And that's not what he instructs us here. He's the one who justifies us, but he also is with us and helps us and carries us along. Yeah, the preservation of the saints, if you will. Yeah. We often talk about the idea that God is sovereign, so God is over all things in control, and part of that sovereignty is that he is, as Jonathan said, the creator of all things, that he brought all things into existence. I'm not overly dogmatic on this, but I did find a book very helpful um, that spoke about creation where he, the author, recommended that he stopped using the word nature and then began using the word creation Hmm. when he talked about the world. And I found that to be helpful just as a reminder that God is creator. Um, And then just my own language helps remind myself of that. I'm not going to to correct you if you say nature ever in my presence. But um, for me personally, (laughs) it was helpful. And the second thing is God is sovereign in salvation. Yeah, And you see that so clearly here. Um, Sometimes it's referred to as the golden chain of salvation, that mm-hmm. the work that God began, and God begins it with predestination, he concludes it with glorification. And the sense is that if he's sovereign in the beginning and the end, he's sovereign in every chain link in between. Even if not all of them are listed here, um, the implication is everything that's involved in our salvation is because of the sovereign work of God to, to begin it, and to complete it. Well, even in this section, I th- I think about I tie it back to what we've just experienced through the Christmas season. You know, we no doubt you sang "Joy to the World" and that the Lord had come. One of the lines in that hymn is, "No more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make His blessings flow, far as the curse is found." And the and the idea this this passage is picking up uh, an understanding that yes things have been cursed because of man man's fall into sin God God has God has done this you know in the He has given the world over to sin because of Adam and and then creation itself subject to futility you know you two of us are coughing in the studio the sign of uh, of of what of the effect of sin in this world uh, brings sin and sickness and everything else the ground is is cursed uh, you know the farmer works his field and thorns and thistle grow up but the reminder here is that god has a wonderful plan that's going to redeem not only us but the, the all of creation and that's why it says 
creation was subject to futility, but it's subjected in hope that it will be set free from the bondage with the full adoption of sons. When that, when the fullness of time comes about, when that last Christian is uh, is, is saved, when God brings it into all of this, um, then then there's going to be this new heavens and a new earth, and and he his blessings going to flow far as the curse was found. In this text, you see, as we're thinking about terms of who, what does this tell us about God, what does this tell us about us, um, you see this contrast of the glory of God and the brokenness of humanity that Jonathan is talking about. This, As far as the curse of, of sin has, has affected, so everything has been affected. We suffer, we groan, creation groans. So part of what it's telling us about us is our own brokenness, our own sinfulness, the the consequences of really a, a rebellion against a God that is creator, is sustainer, is glorious beyond compare, but a God that also is saying, I'm not going to allow you to define the story. Mm-hmm. I'm defining the story, and the story doesn't end in brokenness and despair the the story ends with glory mm-hmm. and god is so gracious that he says and i will include you in my glory and bring you to myself and and that's how the passage ends that whom he justified he also glorified and that's such a wonderful comfort too as we think too of maybe some application and things that take away from this text is that you know that golden chain those he foreknew he also predestined those whom he predestined he also called those whom he called he also justified and we can all look at that and think okay yeah that's that's past tense and we would expect paul to say in those whom he justified he will also glorify but that's not what he says he says those whom he justified these he also glorified and it's a past tense thing and it you know as i tell our congregation and we can look around each other and think well no we're not we're not glorified right now. We're in the midst of suffering, but God's plan is so sure and his call is so sure that he speaks of our salvation as something that is already done and completed, but yet we're still working through it. I think this is just a great text. Verse 18, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And then verse 28 And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Suffering is going to be a part of our life. I'd love to sit here and say that 2023 is going to be an easy, enjoyable, carefree year for you. I'm pretty sure that's not going to be the case. You're going to, you or those that you love are going to encounter some sort of difficulty, grief, suffering, hardship, heartache, and those that are in Christ Jesus know that God is orchestrating those moments, that he is overshadowing each of those cares and concerns and using those for our present good. But the fact is that no matter what we walk through, one moment, one sight of Jesus Christ and his glory is enough to counteract any type of pain, sorrow, difficulty that you've experienced here. Yeah, I think as we experience suffering or we, we watch suffering happen on the news or, or even the things that, as simple as natural disasters, like 
there, there's a good gospel habit and practice of, of developing that preaching to yourself mm-hmm. in that moment. Not Pollyannism, no, not rose-colored glasses, like mm-hmm. endure the suffering, but preach to yourself that this is temporary and will not compare to the future glory. Yeah. It's a reminder that, that redemption is coming. The aches in your body, the sufferings in your relationships, like those are those can be gospel reminders that, that there there is salve to be found, there's hope to be found in the redemption not, of we're Christ. We're not calling all these things good. We're no. saying that God works them for our good. <coughs> yes. You know, as, as we mentioned in an earlier broadcast, you know, uh, for God's glory and our good, uh, the, those are the things that we need to preach to ourselves. Yes. You know, God is going to get glory out of what is happening. And for those that have been called according to his purpose, he's going to work all these events toward our good. And for a sample of those light afflictions that Paul is talking about, compared to the eternal glory that awaits. I encourage you to read Second Corinthians chapter eleven. Mm-hmm. You know, just a sample of them. He was imprisoned five times. He received thirty nine lashings from the Jews. He was stoned. He was left for dead, at times naked, at times hungry. And above all that, he had this deep burden and desire for the churches and their well being. And um, yet we can look at all that, again has been said here, not belittling the suffering but accepting it for what it is, that it is God at work in our lives and realizing that in the great span of eternity, it is such a small speck. I had a pastor say to me once, knowing God is sovereign doesn't take away the pain, Yeah. Yep. but it does give me hope. Yeah. And I think that's one of the realities of Romans 8. It doesn't take away the pain, but it gives us security, it gives us hope, it gives us certainty, And it's really a call to say, I trust you, God. You do all things well. Well, you've been listening to the Gospel for Life. We will see you tomorrow.